been good this morning to be with you to celebrate in baptism. It's been good to sing praises to the Lord. Uh, it's, been, it's been good. I want you to reminisce with me for a minute about the last few Easter's before we get started in the text. Two years ago on Easter, we were in the parlor. At least a few of us were in the parlor. It's a lot better to sing in here today, right, uh, with a bunch of us than it was just a few of us in the parlor at the beginning of the pandemic. It was really strange to be gathered, just about seven of us in that room over there, while the rest of you engaged from your homes. My notes from that year started like this. This is exactly what I said. I know that this is strange. I know that this is not what we like. We want to be together. We want to see people we haven't seen in a while. That day is coming. And it'll be sweet when it comes. And I hope that you're longing for that day like we are. And hopefully this time away, this time away is teaching us to appreciate and value the regular gathering of the church. And I expect things will be different when we're able to be back together once again. That was two years ago. Last year, we were together at Taylor Field, in one place, all together for the first time in a while. And it was, be, it was good to be together like that in one place. If you remember, it was hot that day. Right, hotter than anybody expected, so hot that my iPad quit. If you remember this, like in the middle of the sermon, it overheated, it went off and couldn't turn it back on. Um, you may not remember that Laura got stung by a bee in the middle of the singing. In the middle of a song, a bee flew up her dress and stung her. Um, I don't anticipate either of those things happening today. If, if they do, we're in big trouble. But today, today we're back together. In our place. And, and man, let's rejoice in that. We are back together in our place. And it looks like this is going to last. It looks like this is going to be normal once again. And we praise the Lord for that. And I want to say, if you've been waiting for some reason to come back, if you've been waiting for some reason to be back together on a regular basis here with us, don't wait any longer. Don't wait any longer. Make this the first of many days that you'll be with us. Well, as I pondered what to preach uh, on this Easter Sunday, um, you know that I have preached basically the same message from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for the last five years in a row now, the same passage, the same notes, the same points, and I seriously considered mixing it up this year. Specifically, I considered piggybacking off of last week's message in 1 Peter and giving some examples from the life of Jesus, particularly from the passion narrative of Jesus' submission to authority. Jesus' submission even to governing authority. And there are several examples of that. And this is especially astonishing given the fact that he is the one in the position of ultimate authority. He is God in the flesh and yet he submits himself to the Jews. He submits himself to the Romans even as they seek to end his life. I realized along the way, however, that this day of all days is not the day to make that point. If we walk out of here more convinced of the principle of submission and we miss the glory and beauty of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, I will have missed the mark today. So, after all of that, we're going back to 1 Corinthians 15 today. So open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. And as you turn there, I'll remind you that there is a pressure on preachers on this week every year, a pressure to say something new, something clever on Easter Sunday morning, maybe to find some obscure text in the Minor Prophets and make a connection to the gospel story that blows people's minds and say, oh, I've never seen that before, never seen anything like that before. Or there's this pressure to tell the old story in some new and clever way. 
and I'm going to resist that pressure today, like I've been resisting it for the last five or six years, and go to the most predictable passage for Easter Sunday, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There is no chapter outside the Gospels that focuses more attention on the resurrection and all that it means. So that's what we're going to look at today. Since 2017, I've preached this same message. And some of you already are like, I know this one, I'm just going to check out because I've seen this before. And I'm going to challenge that in you with a picture. If Laura came to me this afternoon and said, Chris, I want to watch, the, I want to watch our wedding video. I don't even know if we know where it is. But Chris, I want to watch our wedding video. We watch our wedding video every year. I want to watch our wedding video once again. The worst move, the worst possible move I could make as a husband and be like, I was there. I don't, need to, I don't need to watch it. I've seen it 15 times. How many more times do I need to watch it? No. This is the most beautiful day of our lives, right? And I want to celebrate it. And so Christians, the story of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most beautiful thing for us. It is the foundational element of our lives. And so to reflect on it annually on Easter Sunday, the same text, the same points should not bore us. It should stir in us. It should stir in us excitement all over again of the beauty of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, three points we will make today from the text. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus is really important. It's really important. Number two, the resurrection of Jesus really did happen. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. It's not a lie. It really did happen. And number three, the resurrection of Jesus makes a really big difference. It's not a theory, it's not a story, it makes a big impact on our lives today. Let's pray together before we dive into the text. Father, our desire in these moments is that this familiar story would fall on our ears freshly this morning. That we would hear the old, old story as if it's brand new all over again. Not because of the cleverness of the preacher, but because of the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would help us to cherish this good news. Help us to understand it better. Help us to respond to it with our lives that are lived for you. We want to pray for men and women, boys and girls gathered here, listening in maybe from outside, who do not belong to you. We're thankful that they're hearing this, thankful that you brought them to this place, so you brought them to tune in today. And we ask that you would do what only you can do. Give them ears that can hear. Give them eyes that can see. Give them hearts to receive the good news of salvation through Jesus and Jesus alone. And Father, we pray that you give them trust, faith to trust in Jesus and give them repentance to turn away from their sins, away from themselves, and walk in faithfulness to you. Father, we ask that you would do this not just for their eternal good, but for your eternal glory as you redeem a people for yourself. And we ask all of this in the strong name of Jesus, our resurrected King. Amen. Amen. So rather than, rather than read the whole text, because it's a lot of text that we're going to work through today, I'm going to read kind of one section at a time, and we'll deal with one section at a time and, uh, and see what God has for us to see today. Look at verses 1 through 4 first. 1 Corinthians 1 th- 15, 1 through 4. It says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So the main point here is that Paul says he delivered the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to the people at Corinth as a matter of first importance. And that's why I want to preach this text today. 
because this is a matter of first importance. There are a lot of things that I could say to you today. There's a lot of advice, a lot of anecdotes, a lot of platitudes, a lot of hobby horses of my own that I could chase with you today, a lot of stories that I could tell you, but all of that would be a waste of time if I don't preach to you the one message that matters more than any other. In fact, I don't mean to be arrogant in saying this, but what you're about to hear is the most important thing you'll ever hear, is the most important thing you will ever hear in your life. Notice the content of this most important message that Paul says he delivered to the people, and I want to deliver to you today. First, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Every word of that phrase is amazing. Every word of that phrase is absolutely incredible and worth spending some time meditating on. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We could go on like that and chew on it all day long, and I would invite you to do that. Isn't it interesting to you that Christ died? That the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one died? This is not what the people expected. The Jews thought the Messiah, the Christ would be a victorious military leader who would deliver them from Roman occupation and oppression. They thought he would win a great battle with Rome that would result in their political freedom. But the Christ died on a cross. This is a major stumbling block for Jewish people. It was foolishness to the rest of the world. The deliverer dies? What sense does that make? But it begs a question, right? If the Christ died, why did the Christ die? Well, the text answers the question. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. This is huge. The Bible is clear that we are all sinners, all of us in this room, everyone who can hear my voice. We are all sinners. And that because God is holy, he must punish sin. And the Bible speaks clearly that the wages of sin, what we have earned because of our sin, is death. Let me say it plainly. God is holy, God is righteous, and God must punish sin. And we are sinful. We are deep down dirty, and we deserve punishment. We deserve wrath. We deserve judgment for all of eternity. Now think about this for a moment. That's a hard truth for us to accept. We resist it naturally, thinking that we are good, but the supposed goodness of mankind is a deception, right? The supposed goodness of every man is a deception. We see the depravity of man all around us. See the sinfulness of man all around us. Just turn on the news Scroll through social media, have a kid or two, and you will see the depravity of mankind. The sinfulness of mankind is obvious. But this is not just about them out there. This is about us. If we are honest, we know how dark and depraved we are. Each of us. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But let's think about that a little further. This text is about Jesus. This text teaches us that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Jesus was not like us. Jesus never sinned. Therefore, he was the only man who ever lived on the planet that didn't deserve to die. But he did die. Why? For us. He took our sins as if they were his own. And he suffered the punishment that you and I deserve. This is what theologians call substitutionary atonement. And it is a beautiful thing. Over the last few weeks, as we've baptized a few people, we have asked them about propitiation. Do you believe that Jesus is the propitiation for your sins? Yeah. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf by dying in our place. And this is why we call the message good news. 
It's good news that Christ died for our sins. And he died for our sins, the text says, according to the scriptures. This is not some last minute, what are we going to do? We've got to get around the problem of sin and holiness of God. Sinfulness of man and holiness of God, what are we going to do? No, this is a plan from the beginning. Way back in Isaiah, chapter 53, the prophet said this. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He, this is referring to Jesus, was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Listen to verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's good news, right? Someone who would step in and take the punishment in our place? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's what Paul says is the first bit of the good news. The second bit is that he was buried. We don't usually focus on this very much. We don't usually talk at great length about the burial of Jesus, but it is important because that's what you do with dead people. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't get sick. When Jesus was on the cross, he didn't get hurt. He wasn't in a coma. He wasn't playing possum, as they say. Jesus died on the cross. Remember, the wages of sin is not a beating. The wages of sin is not suffering. The wages of sin is not imprisonment. What is the wages of sin? Death. So Jesus took our sin as his own, and he suffered the due penalty for that sin, and he died. And they buried him. His burial also sets the stage for what comes next, right? His burial also builds the suspense of what comes next. And Paul says the third part of this most important message is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Friends, if this didn't happen, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, we have no hope. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. His resurrection is glorious, right? His resurrection is marvelous. His resurrection has inspired countless songs, and we should sing about his resurrection. He is alive. And I want you to know that Jesus didn't just die, and he didn't just rise from the dead, only to die again sometime later. We read stories like that in the New Testament, right? There's a guy named Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, that he raised from the dead. Lazarus went on to die again. There was a little girl, the daughter of Jairus, whom Jesus raised from the dead, but she only went on to die again. It's not the way it worked with Jesus. There's a big difference between being raised and he is risen. He is risen. Brothers and sisters, he is alive. The Lord Jesus Christ is alive. And beyond that, he's here. He is here with us. We're not just a crowd of people in a hundred-year-old building today. We're a crowd of people with the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang this morning at the end of the sunrise service, which was beautiful, we sing at the end, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. It's so important to get the tense of that right. right? It's not because he lived, I can face tomorrow. It's because he lives. Because he is a living Lord over us that we can face tomorrow. Notice just a couple of things before we move on from this. Number one, 
Paul is writing this to people who already believe in Jesus. He says, I remind you, brothers, right? They are people who already believe in Jesus. So he's not preaching this to them for the very first time, but rather he's reminding them of the precious truth upon which their life is built. He says, I preached it to you, you received it, you stand on it, and for many of us in this room, it's exactly like that today. It's exactly like that. This is not new. This is the wedding video that you've seen over and over and over again. And Paul is reminding these people who already knew these things of the truths upon which their lives are built. But that's not the case for everyone in this room, right? There may be someone in this room that's hearing all of this for the very first time. You mean Jesus died on a cross for me? You mean Jesus was buried? You mean Jesus came out of the grave? Yeah, like there are people on the planet who have never heard anything like that. Maybe there are even people in this room who've never heard anything like that. But maybe there are others who are really hearing it for the first time today. Like that's what's happened with some of these kids that we have baptized. that have made professions of faith recently and we have baptized. It wasn't the first time that these kids heard the gospel. Davy Stern's heard the gospel a thousand times. Probably a hundred thousand times. But there came a moment where he really heard it. Not just with his ears. right? Not just with his physical ears and not just with his brain. But with his heart. He heard the call of Jesus to follow him. And it changed everything. And maybe that's happening for you. Maybe that's happening for you even as we talk about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Maybe you're hearing, maybe you're hearing Jesus say, follow me. Oh, friend, do it. Do it. Follow him. Repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Your life will never be the same. Notice also that Paul makes clear that this message did not originate with him. He says, this is a message that I received and now I'm passing on to you. And that, brothers and sisters, is a pattern that we must mimic in our lives. We receive the good news and we deliver it to other people. That's God's plan. It's God's plan that we would receive the good news and we would pass it on to someone else. How selfish of us to receive the good news, to have our lives completely restructured and changed and then not share that good news with someone else. So I ask you, from whom did you hear the good news? Who preached the gospel to you? And I ask you, To whom are you preaching the gospel? Who are you sharing the good news with? The resurrection of Jesus is really important. It's the first point. It's really important. It's a first importance, and that's why we preach it. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. But the resurrection of Jesus also really happened. Look at verses 5 through 11 with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 11 says, And he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all of the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. The resurrection of Jesus didn't happen over in a corner somewhere. It's not as if there was only a small group of people that made up this story and then spread it around to the whole world. No. Many people saw the Lord Jesus die, and many people saw him alive after he died. There are two parts that stand out to me in this. First, do you notice that it says... 500 brothers at one time saw him alive after he died? That's wild, right? Listen, it's hard to get two or three people to tell the same story about something. It's downright impossible to get 500 people to tell the same lie. 
But if all those 500 people saw the same thing, then they all tell the same story. And that's compelling, and that's what happened with the resurrection of Christ. Notice also that Paul, the author of the letter, saw himself as the recipient of much grace. He says, I am last of all. I am least of the apostles. You remember the story about how he saw the Lord Jesus, right? He was on his way to persecute Christians. He was on his way to drag men and women off to prison, or worse, to drag them off to their deaths. And on the way, he saw a bright light, a bright light that knocked him down to the ground, and a loud voice spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. From that moment on, Paul's life changed completely. He went from being an enemy of Jesus, he went from being an enemy of the church, to one of the great followers of Jesus, and one of the greatest proclaimers of Jesus that the world has ever known. That could happen for someone in this room today, you realize that, right? Someone could walk in this room today, a complete enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and walk out a friend of Jesus. That's what he does. He pursues people like that. He did it for me. I was an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Davy and Briley were enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he went after them, and he made them his friends. More than his friends, he made them his children by his grace. Oh, praise the Lord. Notice also that Paul says that these witnesses to the resurrection preached about it to people. And when they preached about it, people believed. I want you to know that it doesn't matter who preached the good news to you. I asked you that a while ago. Who preached the good news to you? I want you to know it doesn't matter who preached the good news to you as long as they preached the good news to you. You are not more saved if you heard the gospel from Billy Graham than if you heard it from your wrinkly old grandma. What matters is that they preached it, you heard it, and you believed it. What matters is God saved you. I read not too long ago that more people saw Jesus after the resurrection than saw him die on the cross. As public as the crucifixion of Jesus was, the resurrection of Jesus is arguably more public. It really happened. That's what I want you to see. It really happened. He really did rise from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is really important. The resurrection of Jesus really happened. And third, the resurrection of Jesus makes a really big difference for us. Look at verse 12. It says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Look at verse 20. Look at it closely. It says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Skip down to verse 50. Skip down to verse 50 and listen to this. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 
For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when? But when the perishable would have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, that's good. We just quit and go home after that, right? Man, that is the best. Look at verses 12 to 19. Paul paints this dismal picture of what life would be like if Jesus was not raised from the dead. He says our preaching is vain. You stand up and preach your guts out and it doesn't make any difference if Christ has not been raised from the dead. You sing your heart out, it doesn't make any difference if Christ has not been raised from the dead. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is in vain. It is empty foolishness to believe if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, he says, you're a false witness of God. You're a liar to the people around you in the name of God. You say God said, and it didn't happen. That's dangerous. He says your faith is worthless because you're still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, you've not been forgiven. You've not been redeemed. There's, you don't say, like Paul, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If Christ has not been raised, all there is is condemnation. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, those who have died... Christ has not been raised from the dead, then those who have died while trusting in Christ have perished. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, those people you love who trusted in Christ and died, they didn't go to heaven. There's no hope. No hope for them. No hope for you if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Basically what he says is that if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, pack it up and go home. We are wasting our time or worse. But verse 20 is the best, right? Verse 20 is the absolute best. It says, he has been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. He has indeed been raised from the dead. And so, therefore, all of those hopeless scenarios I just outlined are turned over into the positive. Our preaching, because Christ has been raised from the dead, is powerful and it is effective. People are called out of darkness into marvelous light by the proclamation of the gospel, by the power of the Spirit, through the proclamation of the gospel. Our faith is meaningful. It is heavy and solid. We are telling the truth about God because Christ has been raised from the dead. Your faith is priceless. You are delivered from your sins. There is no condemnation because Christ has been raised from the dead. And brothers and sisters, those who have died while trusting in Christ are with him in paradise. They are with him in paradise because Christ has been raised from the dead, victorious over sin and the grave. And we are not men to be pitied. If Christ has not been raised, we are a pitiful bunch. But because Christ has been raised from the dead, we are of all men most to be envied. We have hope and treasure that they don't know about. And we are to be envied above all men. So all that seemed hopeless, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, is turned into hope because he has been raised from the dead. It makes a big difference that Christ has been raised from the dead. A big difference for us. And then verses 20b through verse 23 basically teach that the resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee of the resurrection of those who trust him. As he was raised, we will be raised. In Adam, that is in our natural state, death, only death awaits us. But in Christ, by grace through faith in Christ, resurrection and eternal life await us. That's part of what we see in baptism, right? It's a picture of our union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. 
We are with him, not, in, not just in death to sin, but in resurrection to new life. His resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. Verses 50 through 57, I love those. It's just like classic trash talking, right? The, the, the church that, I, that we served at in Mississippi had verse 51 stenciled on the wall of the bed baby's room. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Like, totally out of context. Biblically, totally out of context. Nursery-wise, true story. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And I'm thankful for people who are back there doing that right now. But then read on in that text. You know that the only people that can really talk trash are people who are confident they're going to win. I don't get to do that a lot. I I don't find myself often in a position to talk trash. Like if I go to the weight room, I don't get to talk any trash. Like the skinniest dude in there, right? I go to the barber shop, I I can't give anybody grief about their hair. Right? there, there, There are so few occasions where I can talk trash because you got to be the winner to talk trash. And listen, Jesus can talk trash over death because he wins. He, can win. he says, death, where's, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? We can talk trash about death because we are in Christ and the victory is ours. Thanks be to God gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus can talk trash even in the face of death. And we can too. Verse 57 is the key. Verse 57 is the key to all of it. When it says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us victory over death through Jesus Christ. We are sinners who deserve death. And the only escape from judgment is to trust in Christ. And when we trust in Christ, he gives us victory. It belongs to him. It's his victory. We can't win it ourselves. He won it. And he will count the victory to us as a gift. That's what grace is, right? Undeserved favor. He gives us victory. By his grace. The resurrection of Jesus is really important. The resurrection of Jesus really happened. And the resurrection of Jesus makes all the difference. It makes a really big difference for us. So for those of us who are trusting in Jesus and are following in Jesus, what do we do? What do we do on Easter Sunday? We rejoice. We enjoy this. We celebrate. We sit like we're watching a wedding video over again and we say, ha, that, was a, that was a great moment. That was beautiful. I remember this. This was a really good day. We rejoice and we celebrate that Christ died for us and that he was buried and that he was raised and that he has given us victory. Let me just let you in on a secret. That's what we celebrate every Sunday when we get together. It's not just once a year that we celebrate the victory that is ours in Christ. We do it every Sunday. Every Sunday is a little Easter. So we rejoice and we deliver the message to those who are around us. We, we deliver the message that we have received. We do this at work. We do this at home. We do this amongst the nations. We pack up all of our stuff and we move to the darkness so that we can tell others that Jesus saves. Didn't the choir do a great job? Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Can we say that enough? Let's say it loud to the world. Jesus saves. Brothers and sisters in Christ, rejoice and preach. And for those who are not trusting in Jesus, those who are not following him, I beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God today. Today. There is a reason you are in here. There is a reason you are hearing this good news. 
Perhaps God is changing your heart. Perhaps he's calling you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Don Whitney uses an image about evangelism. He talks about when we preach the gospel, we're putting lightning rods in people's hands. We're, we're handing out lightning rods. By, by preaching the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we're putting lightning rods in people's hands. we got no clue where it's going to strike. Right? We've, we've got no clue who the Lord Jesus is going to strike and change, but you've all got a lightning rod in your hand right now. And we're praying that God will strike some of you and change you forever and ever. That he will, in the words of Bud Logeman, light you up, right? Light you up and change you forever. I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak the good news of Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection directly to your heart today. And that he will give you faith to trust in Christ. That he will give you repentance to turn from your sins and to walk with him in faithfulness. Let's stand together and pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us as your people to rejoice and celebrate the gospel and help us to proclaim it, to preach it. Not just to share it with those who want it, but to proclaim it to everyone around us. And Father, we pray for men and women and boys and girls who are not trusting, who are not following Christ pray that you'll reach down and change them today, that you will speak with clarity and authority into their lives, follow me. And we do pray that you will give them faith to trust in Christ. We do pray that you will give them repentance to turn from sin and walk in faithfulness to you. And we pray that you do this, not just so that they can go to heaven, but so that you will receive the praise that you are due. We pray this in Christ's name.